the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 27. Doctor Who, The War Machines. Hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton, and welcome to the start of our fourth recording block. It is, and Simon has presented me with some very beautiful uh, 50th anniversary Doctor Who glasses, some tumblers, and in honour of them... I think they're actually 40th anniversary... No, it's the uh, McGann logo, but with the... Right, okay. So, and I think somewhere, there are, yeah, 50 years, it's on the... It's inscribed in the glass underneath. Now, we've got the William Hartnell ones. It's because I have the, the Patrick Troughton ones at home and you were jealous. I was, I was. And I mean, they're lovely tumblers, but they're quite peculiar, as we've both observed. They are. They're, they're really nicely designed. They've got a silhouette of the appropriate Doctor's face with images on the ins- inlaid into the face representative of that Doctor's era. So um, the William Hartnell one that we're, we're looking at, it's got a, a picture of the TARDIS, it's got a picture of a couple of Daleks, and a picture of some of his companions, which is nice. And there's, there's Ben and Polly, which is appropriate because they tail end his time as the, as the Doctor. And there's another companion who's possibly a slightly odder choice. There's no Susan, no Ian, no Barbara. But there is Katerina, which is slightly odd. Not that I have any problem with Katerina. I quite like Katerina. I think I think it was a sensible decision to write her out because... She, that would have got very boring very quickly well, and it, very awkward. It, it kind of was doing. Yeah. And we were, we were chatting just beforehand about the bad old days when we first became Doctor Who fan, particularly when I first became a Doctor Who fan. And Katerina didn't have a single existing episode. And in honour of the glasses, we've decided that the... We're going to watch her... The surviving... single existing episode... And Ben and Polly's only full story. But because we're Doctor Who fans, we've got to do them in chronological order. That would just be monstrous otherwise. So we're going to start with Dalek's Master Plan, Episode 2. Which is The Day of Armageddon, written by Terry Nation, directed by Douglas Camfield from the 20th of November 1963. But before we crack on with the, the episodes, glasses, as lovely as they are, would be nothing if they didn't have something inside them. And our first sample of the session is Roku gin, a Japanese gin. So it's tonic screwdrivers out. Let's see what it's like. Hmm. Well, as soon as you'd... Because you've had this before. This is my first time having this. As soon as you opened the bottle, you did say it was vaguely reminiscent of Kojin, which which is one we had the last time and... And remains the only one where it's got five out of five burners from each of us. Yeah, really, that was that's the pinnacle of gin so far. It's not quite at that level. It's, it's not far off, but it is good. I'm going to give it four. It's it has a nice bite to it. It gives you a good kick in the tonsils. It's almost a bit lemony. Almost as ever, we're just drinking it with straight tonic and ice. I'm picking up some really nice barky bitterness. Mm. It is it is a bit of gin. For me, it's still a five. I think this is a lovely gin. It's not quite as nice as um, as the co-gin. Something's got to be absolutely exceptional for me to give it a five. This is at the very top end of a four, yeah, which gonna, it is I'm, good. I'm going to stick with the five because co-gin may be the pinnacle, but I think there are others that deserve top-length mm. spot as well. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's remarkably drinkable. It, it is. It's, uh, it's coming down. We've not even started yet. And it's Most already, of my first uh, one seems to have disappeared. Yes. So well, uh, it's evaporated or something. It, these, these things happen. The fire's lit. It's terribly warm in here. The sausage sandwiches cooking in the kitchen, worthy of Amelia Rumsford herself. <laughs> so, yes, and they uh, segues in nicely to our latest podcast recommendation. A little bit late to the party, but I'm catching up with and thoroughly enjoying World Enough and Time. Oh, it um, is very good, yeah. It's, and I've, I've just got through their Stones of Blood episode, which yeah. was incredibly entertaining. It's a brother and sister who live on opposite sides of the world. Uh, he's in England and she's in Australia and they do a satellite link up and it's really quite nice. Oh, that's how, I, that's how it's coming across. I think she's in New Zealand. Is it New Zealand? The big part? But it's somewhere. It's somewhere over there in the colony. It's over there, yes. Uh, um, but no, they're, they're wonderfully entertaining, it's incredibly entertaining, yeah. well worth listening to, and friends of Around the Archives. So how could they possibly be bad people? The Around the Archives team is growing by the week. There's uh, there's an awful lot of contributors and uh, and people appearing in the in the Around the Archives retweets. There's there's going to be more people tagged in it than this just characters <laughs> available. And to be completely fair to them, they're an awful lot of the reason why we're doing our mm. podcast. They are, yes. Um, we had started, because we've been doing these Doctor Who cult telly weekends for years. Years and years, yes. It's only within the past um, 12 months. Yeah, it, it, it's really because I was starting to suggest watching things that we'd already seen, mm. that we thought, well, we'll record our, our thoughts on them. Yes. And having recorded them, there's a, a very short step to... To sharing them with the universe, <laughs> whether the universe wants it or not. Please attend carefully. Peoples of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the following podcast is vital to the entertainment of you all. And before the... Yeah, I could just see you in the velvet jumpsuit. I, I, I'm quite partial to the velvet now and then. Before this goes down the route that we always go down, which is innuendo, should we play the tape? Well, no, because we have to do the Black Archive. Oh, Yes. Open the door. Right. It is very tempting with this to take the lazy option and say we're about to watch a classic Doctor Who where only three out of 13 episodes survive. Because I count Mission to the Unknown as part of the story. It is really. It's the 13th part, yes. Yeah. But that's a bit lazy. Mm. And I think we should have something a bit more non-hooey. I've been racking my brains on this one, but my knowledge of what's missing and what isn't is a little bit scant. But the the one thing that you've mentioned earlier this evening, which I think is a terrible shame, at some point we're going to do, we're going to complete the whole Quatermass canon of podcasts by moving on to the radio series from the mid-90s, the Quatermass memoirs. But that's not enough for a podcast on its own. So the intention is to draft in spoofs and other material that will that is Quatermass related. And Simon has let me know that the both the Goons and Tony Hancock did Quatermass-esque. Yes, the Goons did the Scarlet Capsule, uh, Hancock did the horror serial. Scarlet Capsule has been released by the, uh, the BBC and mm. the I'm, I'm sound. But I'm going to pluck out the, the Tony Hancock one because you, you said that that is missing. I believe so, yeah. Uh, and I, I think the audio exists, but I don't think that... Um, the video episode does. Yeah, so that that will be my choice. Now, I don't really. Tony Hancock is one of those people that obviously I've got recordings of 
you know, the radio ham, the blood donor, that etc. etc. All the all the classics. I don't claim intimate knowledge, but he is one of those people who had a big impact on fifties and sixties comedy. And indeed his estate made its presence felt pretty much up to the present day. It was all tied up with uh, it was tied up with Terry Nation and even the Daleks. So Tony Hancock. There was a, a wonderful radio play on years ago. It must be about ten years ago now. It was his final hours in the hotel room, dramatised. And it was really quite poignant. And I cannot for the life remember who was in it. It was a monologue. Who was in it or what it was called, but it was I was on Radio 4 and it was really one of those sit up and listen. And it, I mean, it doesn't sound cheery. It wasn't cheery in the slightest. But no, the hang, anything missing from that period, uh, the, the Hancocks and you know, the stuff like the Dad's Army and what have you, stuff that's really quite seminal. I do think it's a shame when there are gaps in those collections. I mean, looking at Dad's Army, yes, it's a shame that there are gaps, but there are very few gaps. Oh, yeah, there are now, yes. Yeah. I think there's only two now. Uh, even that might be. There's one or two. And the Steptoes have all been filled. They turned up within the past 12 months, I think, a whole lot somewhere. Um, and the um, American Pilot. Yes. Which is in that little box over there that we could do at some point. For the sitcoms episode, by any chance? Uh, I've got some other interesting things planned for the sitcoms. <laughs> we're, we're going to be having a number of sitcoms episode, episodes, I think. Yes. There'll be, if you ever see volume one in the title of an episode of our podcast, you know that there's more to come on there. Yes, ITC. So what's your choice out of the Black my, Archive? My choice? Well, I had a hankering the other day to watch some Out of the Unknown. Okay. So I watched Level 7 again. It's a favourite. It is. It's an excellent piece of television. And it reminded me that J.B. Priestley did a television play several years previously, again about nuclear war called Doomsday for Dyson and had that existed in the archives we'd have watched it in our radiation themed episode oh another radiation one yes it's a post-nuclear war thing right um, and there were a number of them around about that times of 50s 60s there's Doomsday for Dyson there was another one called The Offshore Island um, all fairly miserable and grim dramatisations but I suspect not quite as miserable and grim as threats no, it's, it's that's still the Nadia so far. Um, but a, a lost JB Priestley play, um, I think, has to be a, a prime contender for the Black Archive. Splendid. Well, we shall uh, pull that off the shelves of the Black Archive and release it out into the wild for the benefit of all. So, with all that said and done, shall we carry on with Day of Armageddon? Why not? Run VT. You know, it, it's weird. These original title sequences, I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastic. and um, They look fantastic now. You compare them to anything that was happening at the, uh, mm. at the time, and they're incredible. They were years before my time. Um, I never never even overlapped with them. But I still get a massive sense of, sense of nostalgia. Oh, yeah. Them. Well, it was disgusting. I know that Sidney Newman really didn't, he did not like them at all. He said they, they were too weird. And he wanted them changed. And the way they're done is actually incredibly simple. It's just a monitor. Yeah, a monitor. It's um, called Howl Around. And very easy to do. 
But the effect, I think the, the scariest bit though is when they try to put a face in it and the, the test footage is on um, a box set somewhere, mm. I forget, the beginning box set, I think. And it's horrific. I can quite, by the time they got to Troughton, they, uh, it was, they, they did at least have a photograph rather than somebody stood live in front of the camera. Just looking at this, it's been given a rudimentary cleanup, but it's not up to usual restoration team standards. I suspect that this was sneaked on at the last minute. The Daleks from the first few years always look a bit squashed. Yes. Kevin Stone are doing his best there to look like he's writing an alien language, but just looking like he's got borderline Parkinson's with a pencil. That's not how people with Parkinson's disease write, but... Oh, you You, you just can't suppress that medical aspect of you, can you? I'm not going for accuracy. There's one of the bits of diagnosis of Parkinson's disease is the change in the way people write. Because the writing gets tiny. I did not know that, right. It's called micrographia. And fan of Semaphore. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Zephon's... He's nicked the the War Chief's bangle thing. Just with you mentioning Mission to the Unknown before, which I agree, it it really is part zero of the Daleks' master plan. It was remade at uh, University of Central Lancashire. Uh, Peter Purvis was involved, Edward D'Souza was involved. Yeah, I, I, I saw the Twitter thing. And I haven't seen a single frame of it, but I believe it looks pretty damn amazing. Yeah, the, the Liverpool local group had plans to, to remake it, oh God, years and years ago, and I was still quite heavily involved with them, but it became a bit too logistically awkward. Mm. Packer. Packer. I believe uh, Levine's done a version of Mission to the Unknown. That's nice. <laughs> Haven't really heard very much about him. Yeah, well, he was ill for uh, one of his... He once, um, on one of the message boards, uh, said that he wished that I was dead because I had a, an opinion which differed from his. So... It's sort of... It, pissed on his chips with me from that moment on. I acknowledge the contribution he's made to the archives, but uh, he's been an absolute queen about it ever since. The sets Is for that really reused sets from Galaxy 4? I don't know, but I think we're going to find out this weekend, considering that's on the list. They really were a very clever design. You can understand why they've mm. endured. First appearance of Katarina that we have. They're very RP in ancient Greece, weren't they? So does that make her the Paul Equatomas of Doctor Who? Nobody's that RP. <laughs> Daddy. Hello, Daddy. Uh, oh, I've just been typing a letter. I'm going to get some coffee. Would you like some? Oh, Paul is telephone answering service. Oh. The evil one searched for us, but Brett helped us. He said they were evil. See, on the flip side, you've got the Katarinas and the Vickies, and then you've got Stephen Taylor. Now, I think that Peter Purvis in Doctor Who was fantastic. He was very... He played it real. It was very... There was no... It wasn't put on 
I love his performance from the beginning to the end. He plays it as a human being rather than a character. All of the... Uh, all of the Hartnell male companions do. Jamie becomes a bit of a cartoon character. Yes. Um, but Ian, Stephen, Ben, all of them. Yeah. Ben's a, still a far more interesting character than Jamie. Dalek's master plan, I have mentioned this before, but every Christmas I listen to the full thing in December. I love it. How early in December do you start listening to all your Christmas stuff? Well, December is now becoming a, a planned you, event. because You my, do Dalek Master Plan, you do Chimes of Midnight, you do K9 and Company, you do The Signalman. Well, Signalman's been added to the list, that's your fault. Uh, and Chimes of Midnight... Yeah, but you read it. Yeah. But Muppets Christmas Carol, I try and uh, watch on Christmas Eve when it goes dark. Oh, K9 and Company... I've never seen it. Muppet's Christmas Carol is the best version of the Christmas Carol. Yeah, a lot of people say that. It is wonderful from beginning to end. And it's got Michael Caine in it. But their Treasure Island has Tim Curry. I've only seen it once. And I've got it here. It's not like... Um... And Tim Curry compared to Michael Caine, there's no comparison. Yeah. <laughs> it's just anybody that's been in Rocky Horror for you, isn't it, really? There, there is that. But he's he's actually one of the most diverse actors that there is. Because think about it: Rocky Horror, Clue, It. He did um, a version of the Worst Witch in the mid '80s. He played the Grand High Wizard in the Worst Witch. Yeah, I know with Diana Rigg. And looking back at it, I saw it to my amazement. I saw it on DVD. A few years ago. So I bought two copies. for One for my parents who got sick to the back teeth of watching it. I just thought, it's so odd. I need to show you that it's out on DVD. And one for myself. It's dreadful now. Oh, dear country. That's aged. Um, but Tim Curry's wonderful. Diana Rigg, wonderful. But probably doesn't really stand up too well to Harry Potter. Not really, no. It was... Uh, I mean, it's strange to think there was only 15 years between that version of Worst Witch and Harry Potter. The cosmic difference in filmmaking in that time. They are currently on the filmed inserts of the Dalek setting fire to the Kemble woodland and they're in immaculate condition. I don't know where these have been archived. Well, weren't they held by a um, BBC engineer? Is that what it was? I don't know. I don't know. But they are. It's a bit sad, really, because if you think that if if all the filmed inserts have been preserved to that level, what would they look like? Some of these episodes. Big Finish have just recast Katarina. They're revisiting a lot, of, recasting a lot of the old companions. Chameleon, they've just done. I don't. I'm not really a fan of recasting to start with. But I don't know what you can actually do with her. She was only in, really, two stories. And only a part of that. Without any really significant break between. Yeah. Because... Well, Stephen was ill. Yeah, the the beginning of Master Plan obviously leads on from Mythmakers. And there's no no break in it. No. Because they land on Kemble. They take off from Kemble. She dies on the ship they take off from. Mm. The, the stuff that I, I have enjoyed is with Jean Marsh and the audios they've done with her. Oh, in the house? Yeah. Yes. I, I, I mean, it, 
it's crowbarring in the character massively, it but it's very entertaining. And it's not really the character. It's, uh, well, it's a sort of memory an of her, avatar, yeah, yeah, a memory avatar. Of, of but actually, doesn't she get to the point where she can leave the house? Yeah, she has to swap places with a visitor to the house. But then I think she, I think she's done others where she is actually... There are proper adventures. Oh, little touches like that with him, um, hands on the, the bars yeah. and looking up at the, I know my place. Yeah. You miss all of this from Telly Snaps yeah, and audios, and you can get an awful lot from those. The bells, the bells. <laughs> now, the, all the delegates. And then there's Mr. Stay Puffed. He was Weird like, gimp suits. He, that's surely the Quatermass helmet. So they're all humanoid, but have really odd ways of walking. Different gravity. No. Solved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's been there is a there is a website out there somewhere where they've worked out which delegate is which because they're never named on screen. They're all, they're named in the camera scripts and whatnot. But what a nightmare! The one that disappears is the Christmas tree one from Mission to the Unknown. Never seen again in this. Did, wasn't the um, costume damaged in storage? Don't know. Because doesn't the one in the old-fashioned looking spacesuit, isn't that a cobbled together at the last minute because they need a, another one to replace it? Yes, I don't know. Ah, looks a bit like Coquillian's feet. That's what I'm thinking. It looks like deep-fried calamari. What the hell kind of calamari have you been eating? Strips of squid, dipped in batter and fried. That, I mean, that looks more like seaweed. <laughs> Banging his fist on the desk. I'm just at a loss as to why Katerina was brought aboard the TARDIS. She wasn't that interested in a character in Mythmakers. Well, she only appeared right at the end, didn't she? I mean, she doesn't really do an awful lot. And this is a comment on somebody who's replaced Vicky, who used to do absolutely nothing. <sighs> Vicky really was a complete non-companion. Space Museum. She's the one that incites the revolt in the, in the Space Museum. Now, I have to say, Space Museum, I've only seen once. The, years and years ago, in the very first days of missing episodes being released on CD, there was a beautiful box set of the Crusade in the Space Museum with a CD of the missing the soundtracks and a key ring and a booklet. It was very lavishly done, and it was just a pleasure. And that was my first experience. That was the one and only time I watched Space Museum because it bored the arse off me. But the first episode... I was going to say, the first episode is incredibly good. Mm. And then the next three you could condense into one episode. Yeah. So it, it would have made... I mean, it would have been almost two, maybe three episodes you'd need. Mm. They did at least condense Planet of Giants, though, which would have been tortuous had it been four episodes. And... Uh, Ian Levine did make it into a four-part version. Yes. And it was tortuous. And there was a lot... There was this, the same shot of uh, William Hartnell doing the same gurn used over and over and over. Well, that wouldn't necessarily have been the way it was transmitted. That, that's a problem with having a limited amount of existing footage. Yes. But the story didn't hold for a full four episodes. Where have I seen him before? Oh, in the cloak. It's William Hartnell. No, no. <laughs> Sarcasm. You've not had enough gin yet. <laughs> well, we can agree on that one. <laughs> that, I'm not... That I'm genuinely serious, though. That is the Quatermass helmet. 
we actually used it as the title card for our first episode. Yeah, it, it could well be. Yeah. Because this would have been, what, 10 years after Christmas Experiment? Um, 12. Yeah. No, this was 63. Christmas Experiment was 53. This is 65. There were only two stories transmitted in 63, and not even a full one of that. It's such a shame that part 12 is missing. Yeah. Because I would love to have seen that whole time destructor sequence. It sounds fantastic on audio. Mm. And the, the telly snaps look, look great yeah, as well. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's a real shame we got episode 10 instead of episode 12, because mm. episode 10 is a filler. To be fair, much as I love Dalek's Master Plan, and it is a wonderful listen from beginning to end, it's really a collection of set pieces. It's, yeah. it's with a very, very loose story. Much like War Machines, uh, War Games rather. It's um, the beginning two and the end two. The rest of it's just filler. I think War Games should have been a six. Yeah, you've said that before. Uh, and was it originally supposed to be a six? Yes, it was. It was only, it was only because that dreadful prison in space was dropped. Thank God, it could have been worse. It's a really nice looking set. Perhaps they re- the reason they got rid of Katerina wasn't because she wasn't a great character, but because she's not actually terribly good. No. She does an awful lot of sort of blank face staring off into the distance publicity shot. Publicity shot. <laughs> yeah, that's quite good. Yeah, publicity shot acting. You, you, really good. Yeah. You, you see what I mean when it gets to the end of the episode and, okay, it it's an old-fashioned television thing to do to just sort of freeze at a particular point. Adrian Corey appeared in a Children in Need yes. Doctor Who get-together. Along with dozens of others. Yeah. I, I remember seeing them. You see what I mean about... Yeah. Publicity short acting, yes. Yeah. And there's Nicholas Courtney doing his level best, fiddling with switches and knobs and everything and she's just yeah face in neutral <laughs> and she spends most of the episode with her face in neutral <laughs> <laughs> that's some excellent oh excellent yes <laughs> oh yeah splishy splashy and sausage sandwich And it's on to the second part of our glass fest. <laughs> uh, the War Machines, episode one. Do you know, I remember all the excitement about when they... Uh, wow, look at that clean I have to say, they have cleaned that up very well. I mean, this is sort of from the the real glory days mm. of the, um, the restoration team, but that's just beautiful. That's a really nice shot. Hey, fair dues, that's, uh, that must have taken some organising. A shot from the top of the GPO of the TARDIS materialising. I first remember seeing this shot of the out of order sign on the TARDIS on um, the 30th anniversary when they did all the documentaries mm. and what have you. Well, I suppose it was 30 years in the TARDIS. Yeah. Coming back to the 20th century. 
We are sat here with gin by the fire in Stones of Blood style sausage sandwiches. And I must give a credit to Asda's extra special bacon and cheese sausages. They're delicious. They are very nice. You see, Dodo gives it a... She's not treated very fairly by no, the production not really. team. Because poor Jackie Lane is acting her heart out in mm. it. And she's doing a great job. And she's never really given anything to get her teeth into. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dodo's character changes from story to story yeah. to story. And she's only in a handful. And we were talking about Katerina before and her staring off into the distance, facing neutral acting. There's none of that with Jackie Lane. Mm-hmm. Although I suppose Dodo was the last of the surrogate granddaughter mm. companions because then you get Polly who's very definitely an adult yes yes you know I had a very strong sense of energy outside this building a, a sort of magnetic pull if you like <laughs> an old man in an astrakhan hat and a cape mm, a computer expert and nobody bats an eyelid we know but they don't that's a fantastic set isn't mm. it this is my second, Polly. Hello, Polly. How do you do? Now, Polly's pretty... And actually, you, you see Dodo and Polly together, and it's very obvious that it's a, a character written as a child replaced mm. by a character written as an adult. Because even them just doing their wandering about acting in the background, it's sort of Polly taking Dodo under her mm. wing and looking after her. I to think over 50 years ago this was. I first saw this story on the big screen at the National Film Theatre. Because this story and the Time Medal were returned from Nigeria. Mm. And there's massive excitement at the time. Because it was the first time, certainly, certainly the first time since I'd been a Doctor Who fan that an entire story had been returned. This predates Tomb. Yeah, it does. Well, the, the first one I was aware of was Tomb, but I didn't really... I wasn't really involved in fandom. It was like with the the Philip Morris finds, once they'd located them in Nigeria, it took the best part of a year mm. to get them back to England. Terribly dated, but mm. presumably it was reasonably contemporary. Now, this is where your theory about Ben being gay comes in, isn't it? A, a little bit later than this, but yes. Well, it's the, this, is, this is where it starts, because... She really is fantastically attractive. Yeah. And Dodo's a nice-looking nice looking kid, but she looks like a kid. Mm. And as the scene goes on, he basically pays the same amount of attention to, uh, to Polly and to Dodo. Mm. And he's supposed to be a, a working-class Cockney salesman, uh, a Cockney sailor. You would expect somebody, somebody with that background to take a bit more interest in her than he does. Mm. Obviously, it was of its time, and they were written as characters intended to be friends. But looking at it with a, through a more modern lens, there's one obvious reason why he wouldn't be romantically interested in her, and this is much more protective. And later on, where he's going, where he's sort of come out of his shell a bit, and it's anybody want to dance that whole bit, he is every bit as interested in Dodo as he is in Polly. But there's, there's a lot of inference in that. It's not as obvious as Ian and Barbara being a, a oh, couple or, been, yeah, very, um, or um, Jamie and Victoria being a couple. Because you just need to watch the, the start of the Romans and the start of the Ice Warriors to, to see those. See, Dave, that is computer day. We'll be next Monday to ride the 
Never really realised he's the old gentleman from the railway children. I mean, as a story, it was very much ahead of its time, wasn't it? Mm. Well, this was the first of the... Um, <clears throat> Kit Peddler ones. Well, no, I was about to say the first of the sort of unit stories. It was it's set the template, really, yeah. for the... Yes, because there was this and then the faceless ones and then you get into unit proper. Mm. Planet of Giants, you could argue, as well. Yeah, to an extent, yes. Seems incredible, really, that Planet of Giants, or a version of it, was contemplated as the very first story. And actually, as a three-part, would it have been any worse than Tribe of Gum? It would have been an interesting way of starting, though, though. It's not a typical story. Neither is Tribe of Gum, really. No, but it is a historical. It's. Um... I mean, I suppose with um, Planet of Giants, it was the only contemporary story until this came along. Mm. Apart from the few Morton Dill scenes in um, in the chase. Mm. Oh, and the Christmas thing in Master Plan, because that was contemporary as well. Yes, it was. That's a nice effect for the yeah. era. And a nice audio effect as well. Why is there a model of a spaceship-looking thing in the background? I'm not... I was trying to work that out myself. Maybe it just looked sciency. And considering how ill he was at the time, mm. he's putting in a cracking good performance. See, I don't... Personally speaking, I don't think it ever shows. I never look at him on screen and think, you're a bit ropey. There is one episode of Master Plan. I think it's episode 9 or episode 10. He's clearly got a heavy cold. And it's, uh, it's an audio-only episode. There are bits of Tenth Planet where he's looking tired. Mm. Or is that just looking at it because you know... I him? don't know. You see, I think that he does a lot of very good, worn-out acting. I don't... They'd written the story, so mm. that's what he was supposed to be doing. For all people talk about, oh, the Billy Fluffs and all that sort of thing. That was his character. Yeah. In that respect, it's a real shame that the, the massacre doesn't exist. Yeah. Because you listen to that, and he's very clearly playing mm. two completely separate characters. Cracking performances for both. Well, two things, really. One, how do they know that Dodo's in that nightclub? Well, Polly, did, they, Polly but, did say in when she was in the office with Votan in, that's where they were going. So Maybe the machine over her. But why is Dodo so important to the machine? Beyond being connected to the Doctor. Partly that. But also, if the machine's only just sort of achieved consciousness there's probably only about a handful of people it's actually seen mm. one of which is Dobo, Dodo that they've already started it's already started making a connection towards the sets look great but the doors were a bit wobbly there was a definite wobble though yes not as bad as that Avengers episode where the door came for its hinges although they covered magnificently in that one Get used to it, you'll be called that an awful lot. Oh! <laughs> she's not quite at the level of Sharon McCready's 60s perfection, but she's not very far off. Oh, she's not so far off. Very beautiful woman. She still is. Mm. You read her autobiography? Not yet. I've got it. It's really well worth reading. And she was one of the companions that went on to do 
other good stuff afterwards. Mm-hmm. An awful lot of them just disappeared into nothing. Because she went on to do Strange Report. Which we'll do at some point. Excellent. It's another ITC. Mm. Yeah, slightly different format to the Department S Champions stuff that we've been doing recently. Oh, well. Well, there's both um, going a bit dewy-eyed over ITC again. Uh, we've missed the first instance of uh, him being called Doctor Who. Actually referred to directly. I did quite like the way in... I've mentioned it before, Wasn't but... It the, isn't it the only instance? World Enough in Time. The only instance in proper Doctor Who. On that, we're, we're going to watch episodes two and three. Um, but we won't do running commentaries through them. We'll do a little recap at the end and then do a commentary for episode four. So we'll see you on the flip side of episode three. Right, so we just watched episodes two and three. And they were fantastic. Yeah, they are. They are. It's, a, it's a lovely I, story, War Games. I, War Machines. I really, really like the War Machines. It's one that I can just pop on and enjoy. I've, I've watched it dozens of times. The cleanup is absolutely beautiful. There are some really nice parts of it. And the, the end of episode three, where there's the, uh, the big f- fight sequence in the, in the warehouse. Actually, it's a bit reminiscent of the fight sequence in the warehouse in Web of Fear episode five. It is, uh, yes. I was, I was looking at quite a few shots in that. I mean, the, the machines themselves, they're quite well designed. They're, quite, um, they're superbly designed for smashing through boxes. And balsa wood doors. And balsa wood doors. It, absolutely. They've nailed that. I, I like the design of the war machines. Okay, they're, they're a bit blocky, but they're, they're trying, it's like the mechanoids, they're trying mm. to be, uh, catch the public's imagination in the way that the Daleks did. Um, and they're much better designed than the Crotons. Pretty much anything's better than designed than the Crotons. The top half was fine, the bottom half was getting away with it on the cheap. Uh, they look better than the Quarks. Yes, they do. Or the Chumblies, or yeah. lots of the other mm. robot-y type things that were were designed to fire the Dalek-y type imagination mm. and, and never really did. They, they do have a, bit, a sense of menace about them because you'd see them killing off all the, the soldiers in their, mm. the warehouse and actually turning on some of their own people. So they, they obviously don't care about the ones that are yeah. serving them as, the one, as well as the ones that are opposing them. We there are, are, well, there's some lovely sensor clips that have been returned. And again, they're in beautiful neck. They really are. They're filmed into it. Uh, but there is a section missing, and I meant to jot it down I when think we there got are two, to it. I think episode three and episode four have little sections yeah. that, are, that are missing. Where the the video has been recreated by doing things with it, with other mm. existing bits of footage. And to be fair, we know what they are because we're looking for them. I don't think you'd spot them if you didn't I, know. I don't look for them, to be honest. I just enjoy the episode as it is. It's like Image of the Fendal or Robots of Death or Tomb of the Cybermen. I can just put it on and get completely lost in the mm. story. And actually, we both did because... When we were trying to comment through on the the first episode, there were loads of bits where we were just transfixed. Yeah, the story. to be fair, yeah. And I'd, actually, that that happens quite a lot with most stories that we watch. Mm. Probably something to do with being Doctor Who fans. Hey, there's a correlation. Funny how though, that definitely. Yeah. 
With this, though, I mean, with the underlying fault with War Machines is nothing actually to do with any design or direction of the actual story itself. It's Dodo, who is about to... Pr- I still think it's the worst writing out of a companion. I know that you have mentioned... Um, no, I, I agree with you that Dodo is the worst. Ben and Polly aren't far behind. At least they get an exit scene. Mm. Um, okay, may not exist anymore, but at least they get an exit scene. Dodo doesn't even get that. She's disappears off in the the country to uh, to recuperate at uh, to Charles's house in episode two, and then we never see her again. Should we drag it back to episode four? Let's drag it back to episode four. quite like those individual stylized uh, story titles that they do. Yeah, well, there were quite a few of those. There were. Was Inferno the last one? I can't remember one after that. I don't remember one after that, no. And actually, was there one before this? Oh, The Massacre, because wasn't it supposed to have had painted maps at the beginning of each episode? I think so. This always reminds me of that that scene in um, Quatermass in the Pit. They stopped doing this for a long time, didn't they? Having real newsreaders. Yeah, they did. Was he in The Demons? Or am I making that up? Kenneth Kendall, for all of you listening at home. Terribly dramatic. Again, a really nice set. And this is the start of his sort of almost brotherly concern for her. Isn't yeah. How dreadful. Destroy all T-crate boxes. <laughs> Bosh. Yes, yeah, hey, you've broken our baker late. Smash the BBC cameras filming you. The machine has destroyed the transceiver. We've rounded up everyone in the warehouse. Much trouble? None at all, sir. They seem like people who've been brainwashed. Perhaps because they're people who've been brainwashed. Your strong arm methods have already got us into pity of Oh, isn't he fantastic? Yeah, when he gets angry, yes. People are warned to remain in their homes and to keep off the streets. That's not a good effect, is it? Very obviously a blown-up photo. You can tell he's a scientist in the background because he's got a white coat on. Somehow we've got to get a hold of that machine. Get hold of it, yes. And I think our only one chance is to paralyse the nervous system of that mechanism. Yes. If I remember rightly, it will be electromagnetically controlled. Yes, in other words, gentlemen, we've got to capture it. Is he just making this up? God bless him, man. Yes, th- things like that kind of remind me of the, um, the Adventure in Time and Space thing where he's just saying, oh, Bill Hartnell can do that with a look. Just with a look. Um, I watch that very regularly in Adventure in Space and Time. I, I think it's um, a real magnificent biopic. Yeah, it, it's wonderful. The um, thing I'd love to see is, you know, the, um, the restaged Tenth Planet. 
that they did. I was always surprised it wasn't included as an extra. Yeah, I was very disappointed in that. Unless, uh, well, I was thinking, oh, maybe they've reconstructed the entire episode and it's going to be mm. released at some point. But it, I would have thought they'd have done that by now. Yeah. It was six years ago. No. Yep. Wasn't it Peter Purvis who was living in Cornwall Gardens at the time that this was being filmed? Oh, I don't know. Was it? I think so. Who was the costume designer on this? Hartnell looks more conspicuous than ever before with his cape and hat on. He doesn't usually... Almost every story doesn't wear them. It's a real shame that when Jamie came along, he wasn't given as much to do. Mm. That is what they were doing. The electric boxing ring of doom. So does that make him giant haystacks? And and I know giant haystacks wasn't a boxer. There's a bit of muck in sort of the top left of the screen. Yeah, it's been there the whole time. Yeah. And that's... It's not as bad as the the Quatermass fly. Nothing's as bad as the Quatermass fly. But that's not like the IT to miss something like that. It's not a bit of gack on your telly, is it? It's bouncing about all over the place. Hartnell looking smug as fuck that he's... Uh... <laughs> he, did, he did do that very well. Was he really only 60-odd, though? Yeah. I don't even think he was 60. He was 55 when he got the part in 63. He was only 67 when he died. I mean, when you say that look at him, it seems ridiculous. I'm not entirely sure what Ben was doing there. He just seemed to be wandering backwards and forwards and occasionally patting it. <laughs> My machine has to face Votan before noon. Right, well, just give me till then. No, no, no. I've forgotten this bit. This is where the uh, lifts in the post office tower are demonstrated to be enormous. Um, oh, oh. And the back projection. Votan's made of balsa wood then. And the explosion was done by spray paint. Mm. It was a final scene. It was really quite mm. dramatic. Oh, here it comes. The exit scene to end all exit scenes. Well, it's not really an exit scene, is it? It's an intro scene mm. for the for them to join the TARDIS. The child's been looking for him everywhere. We've got a message from him about Dodo. Oh, yes, I've been waiting around here for her. She said she's feeling much better and she'd like to stay here in London and she'd like to her love. We should have... Uh, we were both gripped through the, the last five minutes of that. Yeah, that, I mean, that was fantastic. Every time I, I see it, I, um, I'm absolutely blown away by it. Uh, it's only about six months ago I last saw it. And still absolutely transfixed. It is. It's, it's great, really. The first of the, the unit-style stories. Contemporary Earth under attack. Yeah, because there, there was this, there's the faceless ones, and then you're into unit proper from Web of Fear onwards. Mm. But no, that, that was great stuff. It shows what a great TARDIS team Ben and Polly are. It's a terrible shame that this is their only fully surviving story. Mm. 
lovely that we're getting things like the uh, the animation of the moon base and the animation of the the Macro Terra. They're really putting the effort in with stuff that I wouldn't have expected. Uh, um, Macro Terra was a complete surprise to me. Logically, it makes sense. It's a four-parter. As I understand it, because there aren't an awful lot of clips, they did, the design team have been able to sort of go to town mm. on the designs that that they wanted. And we'll, we'll come on to look at the Macro Terra, but when you look at the the animation compared to the surviving clips, they're, they're not trying to copy it exactly no, as they have done with other animated episodes. Mm. So the animation of the Power of the Daleks or the the Moon Base or the uh, the Reign of Terror, they're trying to stick very closely mm. to to what would have been on the screen. The Macro Terror, they're extending that a bit. But with regard to this, I mean, Dodo's exit sort of mars the end of this. I know there was a lot of unrest behind the scenes in this period of the program. Uh, yeah, and her contract came to a, came to an end with episode two. Um, and they obviously didn't decide to bring her back for an extra session to film a, mm. just to film a goodbye sequence. In the same way as when Ben and Polly's turn comes to leave, they get a specially filmed sequence, but it's filmed as part of the, uh, the filming block for yeah. episode two and tacked on at the end. But at least they, they get to say goodbye. Mm. Yeah, but all in all, uh, a very enjoyable story. But we do come on now to... To our new segment. Which is... Drag Queen of the Week. I am Persian. Name your price. Because of the comments about the reboss operation and the image of the Fendal, and there being a number of the female characters who are extravagantly and flamboyantly and over-the-top dressed in a way that actual women probably wouldn't do, there were, there were kind of drag queen spotting in, or potential drag queen spotting in, in this. <laughs> I'm still reeling from your description of the first Romana in full drag. Mary Tam, who's one of the most beautiful women ever committed to film, I've never in my wildest nightmares (laughs) envisaged her as a drag queen. But you see what I mean about that that white, fluffy, caribou I get it, but you're far more familiar with drag queens than I am. It's not really something I've ever... Never inveigled the way into my life or my, my social scene. So well, you've missed out. I, 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 um, <laughs> but so, who would be your candidate for the war machines? For the war machines? Well, I mean, it, it, is it? It's uh, actually it war machines and Day of Armageddon, isn't it? That uh, well, uh, okay. War machines is actually quite easy because there's Polly's friend Kitty, who the pretty brunette. Yeah, but looking at her through modern eyes, it's. Massive hair, slapped on makeup. It's again an overblown femininity thing. Now I appreciate that that was this was the sixties, and that's the way the look was then. But it's kind of the way you get drag queens looking these days. I need to do more research on drag queens, but they were both very attractive. The, the head and shoulders above a lot of the other. Anyway, I'm um, going to back out of this blind alley. Go- Google the Lady Boys of Bangkok. Oh, for heaven's sake. Don't tarnish these women. They were beautiful women. Yeah, I mean, this, is, this isn't actually a... <laughs> Lady Boys of Bangkok. This isn't actually a great story to start <laughs> Drag Queen of the Week oh. off with. Um, <laughs> and it... Just wait till we get to the web planet. I can't wait for that one. Martin Jarvis. <laughs> 
I mean, fairly fabulous makeup and fluttery wings. So, oh, see, I. I I know we discussed it. I hadn't actually planned to start it with this episode because, um, I mean, the, the, the other thing is that, uh, well, I mean, I suppose you've got the bit with Katerina in Day of Armageddon where she's frozen staring up at that final sequence as Nicholas oh. is, is busy manipulating all the controls. And it really just, just looks like somebody posing for a publicity shot. To be fair, once you've pointed it out, it's very difficult to unsee yeah. that every pose is a publicity shot. And it's like it's like the ending of... I don't actually know if they used to do that at Crossroads because all I know it know of it from is Acorn Antiques. But it's like the bit where, where they freeze on that and there's Mrs. Overall pouring out a cup of tea and they've frozen the tea's flooding everywhere. Well, they and that's um, a joke that they did on uh, what was the forerunner of Naked Gun Police Squad. Mm. Every episode of that they yeah. used to freeze frame endings or, or face in neutral. That's my new favourite phrase then. So yes, Drag Queen of the Week goes to the actress who played Kitty. Sandra Bryant. Any relation? I think so. Mm. Congratulations, Peter. Just very proud. I think it was Sandra Bryant. You might have to check that. If it's not, do write in, kids. The letters Well, if it's not, we can fix it in, in it, we'll, edit. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> and on that note, we shall wrap up this uh, increasingly bizarre episode <laughs> thank you very much for listening to us boys and girls I uh, hope you enjoyed it yes we certainly enjoyed testing our new glasses and we'll be back in a fortnight's time for the next episode take care the Exton Moss experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra all featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.